You can have a seat. <clears throat> Last hour I told everyone they could have a seat after they already sat down, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And, and if this is your first week here, you're coming in at the very end of a series about family and what it means to exist in a family. Um, and there are three other weeks you can check out on the website. Um, but we've been talking about how every family is getting there. Every family is a work in progress. Every family has problems. Every family has conflict. Every family goes through difficult changes. And today we're coming around one big truth. That no matter what the relationship dynamics in your biological family, that if you're in this place, your family is bigger than you think. Because God is building a house. And he's drawing us together. We who were strangers can become brothers and sisters in the house and in the kingdom that he is establishing. And I hope that that rings as good news for you today because the truth is it's hard out there. Life is difficult and there will be things. There will be times when the conflicts seem too big and the problems seem too much or there will be moments when there is celebration and you just want somebody by your side who can help you celebrate. We need people in our lives to point out where God is at work. And so that's what the church is for, this big family, to notice God at work in each other's lives and to hold ourselves as support in life. Last Saturday, uh, Emily and I were getting ready to, to leave the house and um, we was asking Cohen, my four-year-old son, to get ready. And he's now four. He turned four in March. And so it's like, okay, he should be able to, you know, do some things by himself, change the oil, do the dishes. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I did say, Cohen, go get your shoes on, which is a very simple task. He has Velcro shoes because he appreciates efficiency. And so he should be able to go get his shoes, put his shoes on, Velcro the straps, you're ready to go. Ten seconds, no big deal. Now, Cohen does not have a focus problem. He does have, from time to time, a focus on what dad or mom told you to problem. So sometimes you tell him to do something and he's like, nah, I'm still playing robots, you know, because he's at that age where every movement is a sound. I'm getting milk. And he goes to get his milk. And so I said, Cohen, go get your shoes. And he said, okay, dad. And he went around the corner to go get his shoes. And he went to the right place in the house. I had no doubt about that because um, I could hear rustling and movement. No, no issue with that, but it, it took more than 10 seconds. And the sounds kept getting louder and louder. And I was like, those are not, I'm putting on Velcro shoes sounds. And so I started to get worried. And I said, Cohen, put your shoes on. And he said, Dad, I can't find them. They're not here. And I knew they were there because I put them there. I said, bud, they're right there. You just need to grab them and put them on your feet. No, they're not here, Dada. They are not right here. I'm looking, and I hear, like, you know, shoes hitting the wall and stuff. And I hear Emily, who's in the other room, say, yeah, he's looking for them. <laughs> you know, and she was doing something, so she couldn't get up and help him at that moment. And so I was like, Cohen? And I started to get a little frustrated because he has a focus on what Dad told you to problem from time to time. I said, Cohen, if, you, if I come in there and your shoes are right there, I'm going to be frustrated. And he said, Dada, they're not here. <laughs> And it's just like, okay, you know. And so I walk into the room, and sure as the world, he is sitting by his shoe basket. Yes, he has a shoe basket because he goes through shoes like I do, which is quickly. And so he's looking through all of his shoes, and he's throwing them around. And I was proud of him 
because he was looking for the shoes. But also, he was sitting there cross-legged by the basket, and he was sitting on the shoes that he was looking for. And I said, bud, you need to turn around. They're right there. And he said, oh, thanks, Dada. And he put his shoes on. But the truth that we're coming around today, the first truth is that we need each other. We need each other. And so look to your left and look to your right. I hope this is good news for you today. If you look all around you and and look somebody in in the eyes and say, I need you, this could be your moment if you're in high school or you're single to really, you know, make a romantic gesture. (laughs) I need you. (laughs) It doesn't have to be weird. Don't make it weird, me. Okay. (laughs) But the truth is we need each other. And that's good news because there will be times in life where you are sitting and you're searching and you're looking for what God has for you in life and you're rummaging through all the evidence that you have in your field of vision and you need somebody else to come into the room and say, no, just turn around. God is at work in this pain if you just turn around. There is purpose for you if you just turn around and see where God is at work. And so we need each other because we can get so blinded by what's in front of us that we forget that God is all around us. And he's moving. He's working in our lives. And so we need each other. And so that's what we're talking about all of today. You could, if you feel like you're done, you can get up and go, but we're going to dive into that as we go through the day. So if you would, would you pray with me as we, uh, as we go into the message today? Father God, we are thankful, blown away thankful by who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we pray that we might see your purpose in our lives and that we might see this family that you're building and understand our role in it. God, we love you. We pray that your word would be spoken above everything else today and we might be changed because of your word. We love you. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. And so Jesus came to establish his church to be a place where we could have support and, and have help in times of need. He came to establish a place where enemies can become brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. He came to establish a place where we can laugh and we can cry together. He came to build a big tent where every week we could come together and have a family reunion and we can sing songs of the one who made us a family and we can celebrate what he's doing in our lives and we can get through tough times in our lives if we can just do it together. So we gather each week with good news as our foundation and we have to start here. We gather with this good news as our foundation that while people, all people, humanity was far from God, Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he established a kingdom of redemption and hope. And he died on a cross paying the penalty for all the sin of the entire world. He took on all the weight of evil and all the weight of brokenness and he defeated all sin and all evil and all brokenness. He defeated it all and he uh, rose again to birth a redemption movement in the midst of human struggle. In that redemption movement, every place can find a part in this new family that's held together by the power of Jesus and his work on the cross. And so matter what, no matter your past or current struggle, there is a place for you in this family, in this home that Jesus is building. No matter your past or your current struggle, there is a place for you in this family that Jesus is holding together. That has to be the starting point. He is the power. He is the source of strength. And he's the one who holds it all together. 
The reason that enemies can become brothers and sisters is because Jesus died on the cross to put enmity to death and to launch reconciliation in our midst. The reason that strangers can become best friends is because Jesus wants to bind us all back together where selfishness would have us divided, where competition would have us divided. He is holding this family together and we are taken care of in his strength, not our own. Not the talents of some, some few talented, but the strength and the majesty of one who is talented and who is above and supreme above all things he's holding us together. And so that message was preached on the day of Pentecost, but it was done significantly better than I did just there. And it was done so well that 3,000 people, 3,000 people repented. They were baptized as a first act of obedience into and under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they were bound together in his strength, and they became a family, the church. And then in Acts 2, 42, they begin to record the heartbeat or the manifesto behind that they, behind the first church. And this is the foundational passage for the church. And we hear oftentimes we want to go back and be more like the church in Acts 2, which I think is a, a good thing, but we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later. And so in Acts 2, 42, if you have your Bible or you have the Bible app on your phone and you want to follow along, the notes are there. And turn to Acts 2.42. I'll be reading from the ESV. And it says, And they, those who were just saved, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a long passage, but it really does serve as the heartbeat for the church as it was starting. And it would become more and more organized from that moment. But you get this sense from this passage that these people, they heard an unbelievable message. They decided to follow this Jesus who had died and rose again and put death in its place and gave chance at new life. And they, had, they were just like, okay, Jesus has got me covered. Here's my money. Here's the keys to my house. Here's my car. They didn't have cars, but you get my idea. Here's everything that I have. This is going towards what Jesus is doing in the world. They gathered together and they had all things in common. And they ate together and they made meals with each other. And they sang together and they worshiped together. And they were devoted to the teachings of scripture and to understanding what Jesus had for their life. They were taken care of in the goodness and in the power of the movement that Jesus was launching. They were taken care of because they knew that they could have life in Jesus. And so they had no need for their things to be their things. Their things became the church's things. We'll be taking an offering later, thank you. I'm just kidding. But they were good. They were absolutely good, and they were like, you need my house for worship? Cool, come to my house, we'll worship. You, somebody needs to make a meal? Okay, we can have a meal. This is our food now because we're bound together. We are a family in what Jesus is doing, and they gave everything, even their lives. Many of them gave their lives, and many of them gave their lives in horrific ways because this revolution that Jesus launched challenged the status quo. 
And it called people who were once far off strangers to be in the family of God. And it was unbelievable. Many signs and wonders all came upon them day after day. And the Lord added their numbers. Those who were being saved and everybody was good and everybody had a place. And so the church began to organize and and fix itself because though everybody had a place and though everybody was taken care of and all their problems were, were taken care of, there were problems in the early church because there were people in the early church and with people come problems. Because I know that with myself, I bring problems. And so I'm just projecting that on all of us if that's okay and that's fair today. But the church had to sort itself out and it began to organize and it began to restructure in Acts 5. You see that two people are greedy and they lie and they die. And then in Acts 6, they have to establish a council because just four chapters later, this beautiful passage where everybody has everything in common, the They weren't distributing their resources properly, and some were hoarding, and selfishness had made its way back into the church, and so they sorted it out by making this council in in Acts 6. And they kept reorganizing, restructuring, hoping to hold on to the heartbeat that they had in Acts 2. But one thing remained a common theme throughout the New Testament. You hear Paul talk about it over and over again. And so we'll look at Ephesians 2 to get that point. Ephesians 2, verses 17 through 20 just says this. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you to those who are near. For through him, being Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is making a family. He's building a house, and the number one thing he wants us to remember is that all people have a place in this house. The door is open to anyone, no matter their struggle, and they can find salvation and grace and hope and life and eternity in the power of Christ and in the grace of God. He's holding this thing together. We have no more enemies because we have Jesus. We have no more competitors because we have Jesus. We only have brothers and sisters because we have Jesus. And we seek to be fulfilled in him and to build a bigger family because what he did was unbelievable. And we are taken care of in his power. And so that's part one of a two-part message today. And that's the part that I think that we can grab onto really well, this unbelievable message that we have a place in the family of God, that we have a place in the house of God, and that all people have a place in the house of God. But it begs a question. How should this family behave? How do we really do that? How do we really become the family in the house of God that it was intended to be? How do we hold on to the heartbeat of what the church was in Acts chapter 2? And to answer that question, let's go back and look at the example that Jesus laid out in his ministry and with his community and with his family that he called the disciples. When you look there, you see, based on Jesus' interactions, that Jesus wants a family defined by selflessness. Because Jesus invites us to follow his example, to live life as he lived life, and he lived life selflessly, day in and day out, everything he did. 
was to exalt others and to bring others back into a right relationship with God. He lowered himself so that others could be brought into this family. And so the chief characteristic of the family of God should be selflessness. And so if you are taken care of and you are held together and you believe that Jesus has a new life for you, your primary motivation should be to become more and more selfless every day in the power of Jesus and be more and more taken care of by him so that you can exalt others and serve others above yourself in this family. Jesus offers us freedom in this life and he lived a selfless life. That is not a coincidence, that's an invitation to continue to die to yourself and be free from comparison, be free from competition, be free from ego, be free from, you know, meritocracy, be free from all these things just to follow Jesus and exalt others beyond ourselves. And so we look at his example, and so we turn to John 13. And this is a very famous passage in Scripture, but it offers us a very specific example. In John 13, uh, for, some, exam- for some, some context, Jesus was getting down to have a meal. And these guys that he was with were coming in to have a meal with him. And they would take off their shoes and they'd sit at the dinner table and somebody would come around and wash their feet. And so in this time, there, was, there were dirt roads, they wore sandals, and it was hot. That is a dangerous combination. This is a disgusting combination. Sweaty feet plus dirt plus sandals equals bad. I can't wear sandals for 10 minutes without the whole room knowing that my stinky feet are here. Okay, and so I wear closed-toed shoes. It's selfless. It's an act of service to you. Trust me. And so these men were wearing their sandals, and their feet were disgusting, and somebody needed to wash their feet, and so Jesus went and he got the wash basin, and he grabbed the rag. And God himself, in human form, knelt down before his created beings and he picked up their dirty, disgusting, smelling feet and he washed them. And he looked them in the eyes and he loved them. And one after one, this scandalous act of service went through the room and it had to be uncomfortable Because he was their leader, he was their master, he was their rabbi, and he was kneeling before them. And some rebelled, some were like, no, 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 don't touch my feet, which is exactly what I would do if any of you came up here and tried to wash my feet right now. I'd be like, for your own sake, if you'd like to live more than the next five seconds, don't take my shoe off for me. And they pulled back and he kept washing their feet. And then he went to the one who would betray him, knowing full well that with a kiss, Judas would betray him. He grabbed his dirty foot and he washed it off. Knelt down before the one who would betray him. He washed his foot. Unbelievable. The God who spoke creation into existence washes the dirty, disgusting feet of those who he created. And then it says this, in chapter 13, starting in verse 12. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. 
But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Unfortunately for us, there's not a lot of wiggle room in that passage. He does not say, now that I have washed the feet of my disciples, all of my disciples' feet will be washed from here unto eternity in the act that I have now done. They will be taken care of and their feet will be clean. He doesn't say, you know, if maybe there's some messiness in each other's lives, if you could tidy tidy it up from time to time, if it's not too uncomfortable. No, he says, follow my example. I just washed your feet. What do you think I want you to do for the people that you're about to go serve and lead in the church? How do you think I want you to behave with those who come into your life with brokenness and dirtiness and smelly, stinky feet. I want you to kneel before them and exalt them and make sure that they know that they're taken care of because in the place that you're about to establish, my church, this family of God, people will be taken care of because the people who are already there are marked by selflessness. They don't have ego that gets in their way. They don't let anything get in their way. They go out and they meet each other's needs and they lower themselves below each other to lift each other up and everybody in that gets lifted up. If none of us is selfless, we all get taken care of. If all of us continue to die to selfishness, we all get exalted in this place because Jesus is taking care of our needs and he's the one who's above all of us and over all of us. And he came and he served us. Put another way, in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So think about what Paul's saying here. The one who is at the outset of creation, the word of creation, the logos, the one who understands the way all things are held together in the entire universe, humbled himself to become a man. And when he became a man, that would have been enough humbling in and of itself. And he could have still won the the race of mankind and already done a humble enough thing. But even in his human form, he didn't want to be raised above anybody else. And so he lowered himself even lower, even lower than the eternal God, all powerful over all things becoming human form. He allowed himself to be killed by those he created. And he humbled himself so that those people could be reconciled to God. He didn't consider his position a thing to be grasped, but he served the world. And he offers us an invitation to serve the world. And so in this family, when we gather together, when there are a couple hundred people here every Sunday, 
it better be impossible, impossible for somebody to go unnoticed. Because there are enough people here who are taken care of enough by the God of the universe that we can notice the people who want to sit along the back and just not be seen. And we can say, everywhere else you can hide, but in this place you're known. You're not only known by the God of the universe, but you're going to be known by me. And is there anything I can do to help you today, sir or madam? Because that's how this family should exist. We are brothers and sisters. Of course we'll have family arguments, but we will serve each other and we will lower ourselves to a point of exalting each other up. I was reminded yesterday, one of my friends was telling me a story um, about how he introduced himself to a couple at church and he said, hi, you know, I'm um, this person and I'll keep his identity, you know, secret for, because I didn't ask him if I could tell the story, but I am. Uh, so he said, hi, I'm, you know, chair. <sighs> it's bad. Uh, who, who are you? And, he's, and the person introduced himself and um, my friend said, you know, you're just talking to him, how are you? And the guy said, you know, thank you for introducing yourself because I've been coming here for five, six weeks and you're the first person who's introduced yourself to me. And so my friend said, oh, yeah? You want to come over for dinner sometime? <laughs> and yeah, they did. And he made a new friend because he was willing to look around and notice a person who had gone invisible for five or six weeks in a place bound together by a God who loves every single person on the planet. We need to get over the embarrassment that might happen if you introduce yourself to somebody that you introduced yourself to last week and you give them your name and you say, hi, I'm Adam. And they're like, yeah, I know I met you like 10 minutes ago, Adam, which I have done. It's awful. But it's better than that person not getting introduced at all. We need to be willing to be embarrassed and we need to be willing to step out and see each other. Because if we can't at least see each other, how will we serve each other? If we can't see the people who hope to be invisible because they want to confirm that they don't matter in this world and so they come to a place where they should be taken care of and they try to sneak in and out without being seen, if we can't see those people here, what are we doing? Because God died to reconcile all people to himself and to build this huge family. And so we will serve each other and we will lower ourselves and we will kneel before each other and wash each other's feet for the sake of of the gospel. It was a couple years ago, um, and I was reminded of the story because I was at my niece Lily's birthday party yesterday, and it was a few years ago that I uh, was having a conversation with her, and we were talking about the solar system um, because she had a, a poster on her wall or something or whatever, and um, she we were talking about the planets. I was like, oh, yeah, you love the planets. Like, that's really cool, and we were talking about that because I like science and whatever, and um, I said, yeah, did you hear about Pluto? It's messed up. It's not a planet anymore. And she's like, what? I was like, yeah, it doesn't get invited to a planet's party anymore because it's too small. And she's like, oh, which is hilarious, right? Like, anyways. Uh, I said, yeah, and she like went on, and then I was asking her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this was a few minutes later, and she said, you know, I think I want to be an astronaut. And I was like, that makes sense because you want, you love the solar system. You like the science of it. You have this poster in your wall. That'd be really cool. What do you want to do as an astronaut? She's like, I want to be the first one to go to another planet. I'm like, 
awesome. That would be really cool if my niece was the first one to go to another planet. And I started talking to her, and I said, you know, you could probably make it pretty easily to Mars because Mars is similar distance to the sun, basic, same basic composition, a little bit colder because it's farther away. And she's like, no, no, no. I want to go to Pluto so it doesn't feel left out anymore. And I will tell you what, that in that moment, I was like, you sure do. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm not even your dad, but you're the best. It is hardwired in our souls to care for each other. And it doesn't matter if we're the ones doing the caring or we just see it happen. We're like, yes, exactly. That's how it should be. We should serve each other and we should take care of each other and we should be held together because God died to bring all people back to himself and we are held together in his strength and his majesty and his grace and all of our sins and all of our brokenness is washed away and we have hope in what he's done for us. And so we gather to worship his name and notice if anyone's in here who doesn't yet know exactly how much God's done for them and we'll go up and we'll say hi I'm Adam and let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me because it's unbelievable and we leave this place after we worship in our family reunion we sing of how great and how good God is and we go out into the world and we go and we tell people you can be a part of the family of God you can be a co-heir with Christ. You can have royal blood in your system again. You can live a new and a free life, a better life than the one that's marked with competition or meritocracy or striving to be the best whatever. You can be freed to be a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Do you know who Jesus is and do you know what he's done for you? That's who we can be. We can be people who tell other people that you have a place in this house. It doesn't matter what addiction you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what affair you're in or have been in. It doesn't matter what is happening. Jesus can change your life and he can break those chains and he can undo all the knots that you've tied into your life and he can free you to a better future. You are welcome here, brother or sister. Let me show you of a house where there's no more condemnation and no more shame. Let me take you to a place where we can worship the one who's actually won it all. Let me take you to a place where you can be fulfilled. Because selfishness is an exercise that only leads to loss because we need something bigger than ourselves to be completely fulfilled. And selfishness is a lie that tells us that we can do it ourselves. And God is saying, just put that to death. I will take care of you. And so that's what this family should be. And so each week, we take communion. And if you're one of the guys who's helping with communion, if you would go get the trays. Each week, we take communion to remember where our strength comes from and where our hope is found. And if you've been here for six, seven, eight months, or 60, or 70, or 80 years, which would be incredible, but if you've been here and you know who Jesus is and you know what he's done for you, as you take communion, we just recommit yourself to serving others and to lifting others above yourself because you're good. 
You have everything you need. And so everything else goes into the mission of God. My house, my car, my money, my life, my time, my vocation, it all exists in my life to make sure people know they have eternal hope and freedom right now. And we take the bread, which represents the broken body, and the juice, which represents the bloodshed. And we just remember, oh yeah, this is where our strength comes from. This is where my hope is found. And if you've never committed to Jesus, if you're here for the first time and you're wondering, did he die for even me? And you want to talk to somebody about it, I'll be right up here. And you can come talk to me. You will not be interrupting communion if you move in this time and you come and get prayer. It'll be okay. It won't be embarrassing. Everybody else will be focused on what they're doing and communion. Come up and get prayer. Talk to somebody. Don't leave this place without knowing for sure, yes, he died for even you. So I'll pray and we'll take communion. God, we are blown away by your grace and your majesty and your goodness. And we pray that we might rest again in who you are and what you've done for us that we might be strengthened again by who you are and what you've done for us. And let us never forget that we were once far off. We were once strangers and aliens, and so we don't forget how great a cost you paid for even us. Help us go and make sure everybody knows that they have a place in this house and in this family that you're holding together. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.